Welcome, film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is your podcast, Cinema's Pathway, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy a replay of one of our most popular episodes from the past, featuring Egon Stefan Jr. Egon is also here today to tell you about an exciting new opportunity being presented by Paradoxical Films and Cinevideotech. Before you do that, we have a message from Egon himself who is sitting here to tell you about our new Tell Your Story Master Training Workshops. Hi, this is Egon Stefan Jr. from Cine Video Tech and working with Paradoxical Films. We're doing these training workshops for the film community called Tell Your Story. Welcome to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. I am so happy you could join us today for this episode. On this podcast, we like to really dig deep into the craft of filmmaking and really get into the ins and outs of what goes into making films. Film has always been a visual medium. It started with the Lumiere brothers. Then when you look back at the genius of the early silent film stars, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, my favorite, it was soon clear that they would wow audiences with what could be captured by this magical new device, the movie camera. More than 100 years later, despite all the technology, the camera and mastery of it is still the most vital key to filmmaking as a craft. Our guest today is a master at that. He is a cinematographer, he's a director of photography, uh, his credits are so wide-ranging, it includes hit television series like Dexter and Burn Notice, feature films ranging from Striptease, Reality Bites, Passenger 57, very underrated in my opinion by the way, and introduced American audiences to Elizabeth Hurley, and also, as I was pleased to find out, one of my childhood favorites, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, he's also been involved in music videos for some of the world's greatest and most influential artists, Janet Jackson, Gloria Stefan, uh, Ricky Martin and Christina Aguilera, and Celine Dion. I could probably go on for days and hours about all his credits and everything he's worked on, but we got to get to the show. So it is my absolute pleasure to welcome our very special guest today, Egon Stefan Jr. Hi guys, thank you for having me. Egon, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you grew up in this business. Your father, Egon Stefan Sr., is a, a bit of a film legend here in Florida. Take us back to when it all started and your journey to how you got here today. Yeah, my dad, uh, he was he came from uh, East Germany when the war broke out. He escaped uh, that persecution and he came to New York and he had uh, skills about learning how to work and make tools. And he worked for a company that came and wanted to open up down here in Miami. And at that time in the 60s, there wasn't a whole lot of filmmaking happening. And he came down here, I think they did it for like a year or two years and then said okay we'll pull you back to new york and he said you know what i like it here so i'm gonna i'm gonna open my own business and he had like one camera that and he was doing servicing uh for other people that were owner operators so trying to find and get a part from germany is like a specialty car it's really hard and you could go to a guy that was german that knew and can make calls to family in germany and then if you needed a part he would get on a plane and fly out to germany and bring it back sometimes on his lap the first like 35 bl that came into town he he hand carried it from there over here for a job i think with uh with bill Griffey on a on a show and i think they dropped it <laughs> how old was your father when he came over uh 19 19 was he early influenced by the german cinema of the 30s i know that was a very influential time uh no but he was uh, in all of the pictures that i have of him when he was a kid it was mostly about photographs i mean he was doing film photographs a lot of black and white if you ever saw a picture of him he would be having a camera in his hand 
Okay. Uh, oh, oh, I, I missed a big portion of this. When he came to uh, New York, they drafted him into the military to go fight the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to go to uh, the division of um, mortars and bazookas. So I have all these photographs of him with a tank bazooka. And then side by side later years, he's got a long 600 millimeter lens filming something for for the NASA. And it was like, yeah, it's kind of like the same thing. You know, you're shooting something, but you're not killing anything, but you're filming things. Yeah, so, if, yeah. If if he went in today, he'd be a, what we call combat camera. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that that's what that's actually my, what my wife is. My wife was combat camera oh, and uh, public affairs. Really, type, type of work. Really interesting work. But again, we could do whole episodes on that. So, where was your start? More photography, or did you jump right into uh, making videos? Actually, I. When I was growing up, I have no brothers or sisters, so I'm the only kid. So I, I was doing things for, for sports-related things. I was actually doing a lot of martial arts. That was what I wanted to do for a living. And then my dad, one day I said, look, I, I'd love to have a car to get to school and stuff. He says, yeah, you want a car? Yeah, well, then get a job. Go come and work for, the, for, for us. So my first experiences were sweeping the floors and cleaning the cases and then trying to understand what this business is. And then he would actually bring me out on jobs. And I think at 16 years old, I was in a helicopter doing a James Bond film in Columbia in the mountains and loading magazines for him in the helicopter. So that was like my my experiences of he would take me everywhere. You know, for a long time, I thought he was a truck driver because they asked me in school, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a truck driver because everywhere he went, he would throw me on the top of the truck and we would drive to a location. And I thought that's what we do. But I didn't realize it was everything in filmmaking, you know, you know, trucks, generators, helicopter mounts, cameras, lights, you know, lenses and all the specialty stuff that go with it. I didn't really have a grasp of it. But then after after a while, he started putting me in like repair. So my my intro was I'd work. At, I'd go to school until like noon or one. And then I'd come to work and I would sit on a bench and guys that were like 40 years older than me were teaching me how to fix lenses and cameras and batteries and whatever it took. So I kind of sat there on the bench for the rest of that time until then I got opportunities where they said, Hey, we need an extra guy to come out and work on the set for second unit or something. You want to come out? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And then I, you know, like the scene in Scarface where, where they chopped up the guy in the, in the bathroom, I was there on the, that day on the set, you know, or Miami Vice, uh, my, my first time I ever pulled focus as a first assistant was on second unit of Miami Vice with a speeding car coming at me in the dark at night. And the guy that I was working for says, you haven't been doing this very long, have you? And I said, well, actually, no. And he goes, all right, I'm going to give you a mark here and a mark there. Just make sure you keep it in focus. Ready? Go. <laughs> what, what, was, was the car uh, Crockett's Testarossa? So iconic. We blocked off the whole highway and we couldn't see anything. All of a sudden, boom, there it went. And it's like, oh, I I hope I got it in focus. I mean, go, go. We could come back to this later, but going back to then, I mean, what was that? Probably like mid eighties, eighty five. I mean, doing that, and then if you had a if you had a DP that scene today, how different would that be? Or has a lot of it stayed the same? No, you see, what I've noticed too, because I had the fortunate for for 27, 28 years, I was a first assistant, and I worked up the ladder the real hard way. When I was at six, I was working at my dad at 16. So we were the main rental house. We were the first rental house that was combined and we had also the Panavision uh, dealership. So any jobs that would come down to, to Florida, 
Pandavision would make it work out of our building. So we that's how we got all these big movies that everybody knows and sees them on Netflix and, and on ca- cable is because they came to Florida in those days and they rented from my dad. So not only would they rent from us, we would actually then put crew on there. And then I would go out and if I could pull getting out of school. And when I graduated from school, I didn't go to college. I went right to working, you know, as a rental manager. And we had, you know, sometimes 20 cameras going out a day. And this is all film. This wasn't, this is the, before the invent of, of HD. So the, the, the discipline that was there, you just didn't walk in and say, give me a camera. If you weren't qualified or had the qualified enough people with it, we wouldn't even rent it to you. We'd have to give you a little screening because, you know, these cameras, when we bought them, you know, almost a million dollars, when you trick them out with the magazines and the video and all the accessories and, you know, bring it in from Europe and, you know, you can't have one. You One is you already have the backup and the backup, then that's on a job and you need another one. And before you know it, one camera turns to five or six or eight models of that because people love that model and it was popular. So every time when we were out of cameras, I couldn't, he, my dad couldn't just look around and say, well, well, get it down the street. There was no down the street. We'd have to either go to, you know, get it from California or from New York. And then otherwise he'd say, buy it, you know, and a lot of times. So in the process of being the one-stop shop in my dad's mentality, he didn't, he wanted to train everybody in the, in the company of everything being a specialized. So you wouldn't have to send anything out to the, to the manufacturers, but it means you have to be there years. You know, you have to, you know, my, my first, before I went out, it was like you know, six years I was in the shop like only in the shop. And then once somebody learns something later on, they want to move on. And then you lose that guy that has that skill and then your company suffers. So my dad said, look, I'm going to send you now to go on all the things that we have to learn. And then you come back and you teach our staff. So that's what I did when I was going to, I was, you know, I went to movie cam in Austria and I was there and I went to Zeiss and I went to Cook and I went to Ingenue and, you know, teenager and I'm around guys that are like, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and they're teaching me and I went to Panavision and learned there because at that time they were having these uh, dealer um, evaluations where they you send two of your technicians from each one around the world that was a dealer and then they they grade you and we got we got a high grade because at that time I was good at that because I sat on the bench and I could you know I knew all the instruments and I could relate to that and that was like my intro now using the gear and making beautiful images and stories and stuff no I don't know that yet I know, I know the mechanics of it. I know how to fix it. I know how to assemble it. I know when there's something wrong with it, I can put it all together so it matches, but then now to hand it to somebody who's creative and does something with it, that took many, many years of me going out as an assistant, working under these professional people and just being happy to be in the room with them because, you know, they have some three letters of ASC or something behind their name and, you know, they've been around the world and you just, you just be quiet and you watch what they do and you steal with your eyes and, you know, you try to do the best you can and that's by having that, you know, as being paid to go out and work someplace around the country, some world thing, you know, let's say, you know, Tony Scott or somebody like that. It's like, yeah, you know, people would give their left nut for that. <laughs> They'd be like, I, I want that, you know, and that, that was, that was the neat thing that some of the things on my resume at the time when they came out, they were nobodies, you know, and you're on the set just like looking, saying, well, they, they, they're going to be a star because listen to that music. And then the next thing you know, they blow up. Mm-hmm. You know, we did Ricky Martin in Puerto Rico where I flew in, I got a phone call and, you know, um, Crescenzo Naturale, an ASC cameraman that did Gotham and he does a lot of stuff. He called me, he says, look, get on a plane right now and come to Puerto Rico. We're filming a concert. And I was like, sure, for who? Ricky Martin, who? You know, and then I, we went there and then after I saw the concert and 
it was insane. And I went, oh, this guy's going to be nuts. And then he came out on MTV and did the same song and he went crazy. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, that's so funny. You know, I was there at that moment of that, you know, or having people that I, you know, it's everybody has an influence in their life when you watch movies. And there are certain actors that I, for their role, I really love them and I wanted to ever work with them. And then when you work with them, you have to be professional. But that little kid inside of you mm-hmm. goes, oh, but he's, you know, he's Captain Kirk or he's something like mm-hmm. that. And then when you read him and it's like, yeah, kid, I did that like a long time ago. Get, get, get over that. You know, <laughs> I did that like 30 years ago. And it's like, yeah, but you made an influence on me, you know. You, uh, you brought up a couple of great points. The one that really stood out to me is you really came up through a practical education in, you know, the craft of understanding cameras and really parallels going back hundreds of years ago to like blacksmiths to craftsmen you know you were an apprentice at 16 and you really learned then i guess you could say you know you became the journeyman then you became the master do you think that's something that's been lost totally totally i I mean just with the we've talked a little bit about the education system and and that so i don't want to get too off topic but i i saw your face light up you know when, when i asked that so what what can we as filmmakers what can we do to kind of maybe change change the game and how to educate, you know, it's not always, like you said, it's not grabbing the camera, being a creative. You need people that know how to, how to fix the gear, how to operate the gear to keep things running. I've noticed that in the time that we were allowed now, Sydney Videotech was opened in 1968 in Miami. So we're now 52 years, it'll be 67, so it's 52 years. In that time, we've constantly had thousands of people come through our doors and now they're professionals and they're producers and they're cameramen and they're, you know, they, they, at one point they walked in and they were coming out of film school or mm-hmm. Miami-Dade or University of Miami or Full Sail at that time. They were, they wanted to get a, into the business and then it was like, great, you learned what you learned in school, but now you got to learn how to deal with this when you're on set. And that, that was a, it takes time. I mean, even I'm a pretty quick learner since I came from sports and martial arts, you know, my teacher would jump around and do some moves and then say, now do it. It'd be like, oh, and you'd have to just like say, you did it like so. And then, so I learned quickly, but people don't always learn that way. And I can look at manuals and understand, you know, schematics and, you know, PDFs of something and how to open something up because it's, it's in me now. But I had training for that. People want to do it really fast now. They want it cheap and they want to be able to do it good enough. And in our time, there was discipline on the set that when a director was going to be working with an actor and you're shooting in motion picture film, you did a lot of rehearsals and you did everything. So everybody got it together. And then by the fourth rehearsal, uh, the director would say, OK, we're going to do one now for real. And then but nowadays you just turn on the camera and you leave it rolling and and you cut around all that stuff and you don't have to ever cut if you didn't want to. Right. Some jobs I do that so that the, the discipline was was and taken away and it's easy to shoot on something that you can see at the moment but in film cameras you didn't see it there sometimes the finders weren't even optical finders they were a parallax finder so you're looking through a little box that looks like a square that's not even what the lens really sees you have to develop that film and wait for three or four days and then go to the color transfer and then look at it and say did i do a good job or did i mess it up that's been missing but now there's like a resurgence of film being like vinyls and over cds and Mm -hmm. stuff and and to me it's everything's been trying to get a film look and i and i have adapted in fact i've had to adapt otherwise i'd become a dinosaur so i've been working for people that are in their 20s and 30s and they're my bosses and you know i have to be humble enough to 
go and work on the gig because everybody's a cameraman because they just bought an affordable camera or they got a couple LED lights and they got drive and motivation and they, they're good for that. But then if you now bring a celebrity that's got 50 years of being on set and you can't manage him correctly, he's not going to have respect for you. I mean, I've had directors that were first time directors working for somebody who's a legend and the guy just goes, I'm not going to follow what you say. I'm going to do it my way. I like my character would do it this way. And there's no, there's no respect enough to be able to say, okay, let's work around that. And the guy just does his own because he's like, kid, you don't even know what you're talking about. And not a lot of people are humble enough to open up and say, look, I'm not really so experienced, but everybody says, I'm super, I'm great. Look at my Instagram, look at all this. And it's like, great, good. Now go work with a celebrity and let's see if you get a good report, right. you know, and they doesn't walk off set and tell you an idiot, you know? <laughs> right. And, and we, we talked with previous guests, you know, it's such a big difference between making a, you know, 10, 20, even 30 second Instagram or TikTok to actually making a narrative film and that it's night and day. It's like you're a psychologist because when you're, when you're on a set with actors, they all have their own tweak and even, even celebrities, even people that are like uh, filmmakers that are certain directors, they want a certain way, you know, Oliver yeah. Stone, I've worked with him and he has a certain way. Michael Bay has a certain way, you know, so Michael Bay, just, just blow it up. <laughs> We're just going to blow it up at, at the end of the day. <laughs> if, if you can survive battle with him, <laughs> you've accomplished something internal that you reached the, the like a level 10 on something yeah. hard because yeah. most people fall. And right. that's another thing is, you know, you, you want to prepare yourself as much as possible and to right. replace your fear, you have to learn something. So if the little square box of film like and is scary to you, you have to actually desensitize yourself by going and touching it and doing it until it becomes nature to you. And that's what we would do in, in, in the early days was somebody wanted to work for me. I'd say, okay, come with me, work as my second, work as my PA, do what I do, um, follow it. And uh, there's a procedure and you know then you would train somebody and it would be a couple of years you would do that nobody wants to spend a couple of years learning something and now they want to go back to film so i've been working with people that are way younger than me and they like hey i want to really do this in film and i'm like yeah i did this before you were even born you know <laughs> i did this with guys that are dead now you know they I, I know the origin i mean i had to pull focus on with no video tap with no optical finder just by taking my hand on the on the lens and then running a tape measure and having to do it that way i mean the technology has gotten so advanced but what i tend to notice is emotion if a director comes to me and wants me to like if I had to say my skill now of, of working in the shop and working and repairing things and then going out on the set and working from a technician to a loader to a second assistant to a first assistant to a camera operator to a second unit DP to a first unit DP, finally all that ladders is that everybody comes to you with a, but they want to have a certain style. Mm -hmm. And you have to emulate that. So if you didn't work with that person, then you need to contact them or find some article that would tell you how they did it or pick their brain because we're expected sometimes as a cameraman to say, hey, I like this thing. And they, you see something, you're like, yeah, that's Blade Runner. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think you have the budget for that and the crew to do that, but we can get something maybe like this with these kinds of lights or maybe something like this style with this way. And by being around for so long, I have different versions of how you skin that cat. You know, if you've got, you know, a thousand people that we can do this and no, no money's not an option. 
object, we could do it this way. If it's the other way, then we have to be very creative and, you know, frugal. And then there's other options of, let's say, because I know the gear, what's out there. It's like, yeah, that's the most expensive thing to get. But that one over there is half the price. And you would never know the difference. And it's really good. Everything you just said is just like my mind. How many different roles, you know, second AC, first AC, you know, DP and on that. But as you talked about, you know, really your job is to kind of help, you know, bring the director's vision to life. You know, they say, I want this. And you can say, well, your budget doesn't allow that, but we can do this. And that's a great jumping off point for what we're going to dive into in the next segment. But before that, Paradoxical Films and Cinevideotech are pleased to bring you Tell Your Story, a hands-on masterclass taught directly by Egon Stefan Jr. In this class, you will learn how to work with actual 16 millimeter film, film cameras, as well as how to load and change magazines. Visit www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash tell your story for information on dates, pricing, and how to enroll. Hurry, as seats are limited and classes are filling up quickly. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Again, I am joined by cinematographer Egon Stefan Jr. Egon, whenever I want to stress someone's expertise on a topic, I like to use the phrase, they've forgotten more than I know. Uh, You alluded a little bit to that before, but I would definitely say that when it comes to cinematography and cameras in general, you have definitely forgotten more than I know and probably a lot of our audience. So let's, you know, the camera's ready to go or your equipment's ready. The script is done. They've just brought you on to a production as the cinematographer. Talk about like the cinematography as a craft and like from day one, how it begins. From my experience of working under people that I really respect and I learned a lot from, they they do a lot of planning and a lot of homework. Sometimes it's like months of work before they even begin something. So you do a lot of tests. And in the days of film, you would shoot tests because today you see what you see is what you get. You see a monitor and you see exactly how it's going to look. In our day, we had to, we had to develop it and then wait a couple of days and see if that if that was going to be the right look or if we pushed or pulled the, the, the stock or we used a certain type of film in there. So when a director comes to a cameraman, um, a lot of times they don't know or have the experience of how to physically move all this around and what to order and what's the option. So that's kind of like the more you know, the better you can have offer suggestions. And then the more you work and be in that environment and feel comfortable with the equipment, the better that you can feel to offer suggestions that would actually happen. Because by being a camera assistant working under a lot of people, you are somebody else is paying the bill and you're learning what worked and what didn't. You know, we did everything from filming diapers to filming music videos and big movies. And sometimes the best plan you have doesn't really work out, but then you find a way. So then the next time you ever do that, you can say, yeah, yeah, I was here before, but you know, I could do it this way better and it'd help you out. So most of the time it's trying to get in the person's head and trying to see what's best for the film. Like the, I think the cinematographer is in charge of mainly running the set and keeping the integrity of the vision of the director and it might be whether they have the budget or not. And another way to do something, you know, it's not just one way to film something. 
you know, we were constantly referenced by people giving me swatches of paintings or colors or clothing or, or some mood. And they say, look, I like this, but with my product. And then you try to find a way, if you don't know the equipment, you don't know what to order. And if you don't know the guy to bring out with you that would know that and set it up, it's a lost art. You know, in my day, you did training for that. If you worked in lighting and grip, you were there for, again, years. You know, you'd be working with all the gear and different scenarios and how to take that light and how to diffuse it or bounce it or what looks better with what stock at what distance and what lens and what angle of that and then this lens flares and this one doesn't that's all practice i mean and not necessarily on on the clock you know you would go in and and go to a rental house and be there just you know learning it until you feel comfortable people would say i, I want to learn mags how to learn mags and you say okay here's the mags and do it until your fingers bleed you know it's for true i mean you got to get you got to get your hands dirty and these days is what you see is what you get you can manipulate it but the art would be that when the director says what do you think and you'd say come over here and look in the eyepiece and he would look through an optical eyepiece and then you could see something these days everybody looks at monitors and you've got 20 people giving you opinions it's not going to look like that is it or why is that too hot is that my color red is not that red and you're like yeah that's there and you have to click to raw and say look it'll be fine but in the other day of film you have to trust the cameraman he's on the job because he's already passed those tests of are you good enough for this job or can you do it it's like you're past that point now you're at the point of i need to surround myself with the most qualified people to pull off what i need to do and the schedule that we need to do it in and by working with a lot of movies there was a time that i did all movies so right when you get almost off one movie, you jump on another one. So my life was like movies, movies, movies. And then I said, okay, I need to be, I want to be home a little bit more. And then it became like um, commercials and round the clock, you know, sometimes I wouldn't even sleep and go around another commercial and I wouldn't even ask what we were doing. I'd just be there and go, oh, oh, it's dog food today. Okay. <laughs> and you would just do that. And then it would be, okay, we're going to go on concert and film Janet Jackson or Warrant or any of these heavy metal bands. And you'd be like, okay, where are we going? Texas. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and then, uh, you know, by, but by being in those scenarios and by being in all the meetings and then also going and following the path of that film at the lab and talking to the people there and seeing the, the, the dailies and then seeing what it can be done afterwards, I would realize what I can get away with. And then by beautiful accidents, what was amazing. And I'd be like, oh, I want to do that for a spot specifically, you know, like something like Natural Born Killers or something like Man on Fire or Domino when you're doing like hand cranking and you got to commit to that. And a lot of people, they would give me something and say, you know, I had a guy, <laughs> I wish I love him, but we were doing a commercial for Sun Sentinel and he sends me FedEx tape of Blade Runner. And I go, we're filming a newspaper, but you want me to look, make it look like Blade Runner? Yeah, yeah. I said, okay. So I ordered the Xenons. I ordered all the stuff. And of course I set up the house and they all came in and the crew looked at the, the uh, brass looks at that and he goes, yeah, what are you doing? We're doing newspaper. And it was like, yeah, but you gave, and look, I mean, look at the swatch. This compared to this, this is exactly Blade Runner. Look at that. That's, that's looking just like, and he goes, yeah, we gotta, we gotta lighten it up a little bit more. And before you know it, it's not, it's no longer Blade Runner. It's now just a regular commercial, but they didn't commit. Right. Sometimes people commit and no matter how crazy it is, you have to go with it because the director feels it strongly and the cameraman feels it strongly. Some people might not get the idea of it, but when they see it come together, they're like, you're genius. But they, they came up with that in their head. Part of when you're filming, you have to think think like non-linear. So if you're filming, you're not filming things in one, two, three, four order. You might be doing the last part of the movie first and then the hardest part of the movie second, and then it changes around. So we try to remember what shots we have. And I try to think in my head, do we have everything? Do you have the cutaway? Do you have the reverse? Do you have the, you know, the things that you're going to need in, in direct in the, in, in the director needs and editing that you, if you didn't film it, you can't add it. So I try to give them options and try to think, and sometimes they don't think that way. But in my world, I, 
I've trained myself to be visual. So everywhere I go, I have a camera. Every time I look at something, I see light coming in, I see composition, and it's just part of my style. Even when I just set something up, I'll stand there and go, look, 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 this is a great shot right at this moment. People don't look at that. So if you find something that you love to do and you don't know what part of it is, you still have to put in the time to do it. You still have to go there and work under somebody better than you. So then, and then apply that and they don't need to be your motivator. You got to be your motivator. You know, you want to learn something, you come in there and you say, look, it's not going to be easy. At some times you're going to hate me. We're going to be like some, we're going to be behind the clock and they're going to lose their mind and you're going to never want to work with me again. But you know, you're going to realize that nothing's personal when you're out there. You're just in battle. In some ways it's easy. And sometimes it's like, I can't believe I got through this. And then you still love the person that you're doing and you try to keep it under control. But you know, people, when it's hundred thousand dollars a minute going on the clock of burn rate, they look at you and they're like, what are we waiting on? And I go, um, the guy's loading the mag or the video. We just lost video. And you know, in those days we didn't have video and we were doing jobs that, you know, had no video assist on there. You had to look through the camera. Are there, I'm sure there have been times where, you know, a director just, just wants something and you try to explain to them, it's not going to work, not going to, and eventually just say, you know what, I'll just do what you want. And, and you have to own it. Yeah. 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 And before I used to be a little bit more stronger where I would just say, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. But then now I just, I only offer if you ask. And if you don't, then we'll do it your way. And when, if it doesn't, and you ask me like, what's wrong with this? I go, well, first of all, that's all wrong. Put this in first, but I'm not going to jump all over you because that's your moment. That's your moment that you think you have it down and I'm trying to give you the look, but we're not getting that look because the scene after this, now we had to do high speed. So those lights you just made me put up, you know, I need to know uh, three more stops hotter to compensate for the, for the 120 frames a second we're going to do. So now we have to take everything down for another two hours and re-rig new light. That wasn't really smart. I would have done that at the beginning. I would have rigged it up and just put them on dimmers and then just did it like that. Oh, we're going high speed, bring them up. But you know, sometimes you just have to go with their, you know, how they are and um, offer it only when they ask you kind of thing. And if there's somebody, we have a good form of communication, like a marriage, I can call you at any time and day and night. And you normally it happens that way. And we get an idea in our head. We talk it out when we talk it out and we talk it out amongst the group. Because it's not just me and the director. Now the producer is like, well, how much is this going to cost me? And then where are we going to find it? Do we got to fly it in? Is it local? And then wait, 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 I need a permit for that. And we, well, how many cars are we going to have? Oh, we got four trucks. We're going to shoot at this location. It's all, it's a domino effect. Being a filmmaker before I used to be just like, I want to be one thing. But then after now working in a rental house, working on the set, seeing different departments and actually working in different departments like gaffing or, or rigging because I'm a rock climber. It's like I was into that kind of thing. And, you know, I love that knots and you find something that you like to do, the more you do it and the more comfortable you feel that it is always the best way. And it's, it's, you got to practice it, find some platform or somebody that can take you into the wing and practice it, or you fake it until you make it and you just shoot the stuff. And then somebody says, I love it until it gets above your, your skill level. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the different departments. Um, you talk cinematographer and director of photography and a lot, lot, some people use those terms interchangeably. Some people are, no, they're two, two different things. Um, you know, as a department head, you know, as a DP, you're also a leader and a manager, managing personalities, managing workers. Talk talk a little bit about that, having to actually manage people that if you want to be successful at this, it's not just learning the camera. Yeah. In, in my day now working in the shop, the gear never talks back. Gear never comes in drunk. The gear never has a problem that yells at you and tells you to go to hell. It's the people. It's always been that difficult thing, how to keep people and how to keep people happy and then how to use them. And that's, they never last forever. Unless you've got somebody that's your child or something, they, you know, you have a 
time when you were with them and then they move on to a different circle of stuff. I've, it's kind of a, a tough thing to, to find people that stay with you for a long period of time. And if you, if you put them under somebody that's better than them and you're, you're willing to put in the time and ask a lot of questions and then take a lot of notes and then do things on your own too, like not where I have to force you to do it. There's certain cinematographers that are just going to stand by the monitor and they're going to direct everybody what to do, like mm-hmm. the director of photography. They're not operating the camera. They're not lighting the thing. They're sitting with the director and they have a little microphone and they tell them what to do. I could do that, but that's not my thing. My right. thing's because I've come from engine room. I'm the guy that always wants to help somebody else out. So if you're dragging a cooler across the beach, that's not my job, but you're dragging it. I can run over real quick and pick up the other mm-hmm. side and pull it across with you and we're done. You know, if we're going to wrap, most of the time, you know, the they say, okay, we're a wrap. And the cameraman says, see ya. And they walk away and I'm like 2000 feet of cable laid out. Mm-hmm. We've got all these lights. We've got all this stuff. I got to help these guys because, you know, they, I'm the one who created it, the the illusion of what we're doing and now I got to help them take it down. So knowing the gear and knowing how to do it properly, people come over and go, hey, can I help you? I'm like, okay, can you? Can, do you know how to wrap cable? Do you know how to do it? And then they like wrap it like they're doing a you know extension cord over their arm. I'm like, oh, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> so it, that's why I saw there is a need to bring people and if you put in the time, I'll give you the I'll give you the skills on this is like a, one way to do it. And now if you can like do it enough times, you find a faster way cool. That's great for you. But it is what I've gotten to the point that if you can do it without looking at it, because I'm telling you to the point that I actually, when I'm teaching somebody and they, they want to learn how to you know, do a, a magazine, most of the time you're doing it in the dark. Mm-hmm. If you're doing film, uh, but you practice on the light, threading it up on the camera or pretty much I blindfold you and I hand you and you tell me what it is. You know, it could be a knob. You hold it and go, that's for a Joker 400. I can go walk in my building of all the gear from now, equipment from 1940s to today and you hand it to me in my hand and I'll tell you exactly what it is because tactilely I've touched it a million times. You know, I've I'm, I'm been getting it together to go out and give it to a client and then sometimes they're hiring me to go out with that to, do, to play with it as a client and use it. So I, I try to get you to the level that you don't have to think about it, you know, and operating some people you know we used to operate and still do in major shows with a geared head with wheels that pan left and right that's not taught anymore that's not kind of common anymore but you know the best thing that ever happened to me was i was like on a job where i got hired and i had to do for like 18 hours non-stop operate that geared head mm-hmm. on a remote head on a concert and by the time i, I was i mean i i didn't pee i didn't i didn't sit down i stand up the whole time and at the end i was like that I, I got it down now. Put me in that thing and I can follow a fly. You know what I mean? It's like after doing it so much, that muscle memory, that's where you need to be at because mm-hmm. then most of the time you want to do things as fast and as efficient as possible and not making any damage or, or injury to anybody around you or the equipment. Like it should go out the same way it comes back in. But you need to have some type of training to know the do's and don'ts of what you do. And most people don't really have that. And they just want to grab something and take it out there. And then you, did you think about rain? Did you think about the mosquitoes? Did you think about that we're going to shoot me the water? You know, all these things that you learn over time to ask the right questions and your kit becomes mm-hmm. vast. There used to be a screwdriver and now it's five action packers. But that just tells you how much you've, the more you learn, the more stuff you need to carry with you. Because if they say the motor's broken, can you fix it? Well, I need more tools. So if I'm going to play that role I can fix it I gotta bring that just in case and you know I from as a kid I was a boy scout so I kind of like throw me in the middle of anywhere and I should be able to 
survive. Always be prepared. Always be prepared. Going back to working with directors, I'm sure there's there's directors that are more hands-on that you know really want to micromanage every shot. And the other extreme, have you worked, do you have relationships and have worked with directors who are basically like, Egon, you know, I trust you, you know, set this up, let me know when you're ready and we'll shoot it. Yes. Most of the time in our business, even when I recommend somebody who hasn't worked with somebody else, they're hesitant because a lot of this is people business. You have to, you know, meet the person and work with the person to say, yes, I would take you out of, in, out of the country or take you to someplace. They, if not, they are hesitant because people can lie and then you get in there and it's like a lot of money spent. So the prove yourself, there's always a proving ground. And then who did you work or learn under? And then how aggressive are you at going and, and trying to get that kind of work? If you just sit back and wait for the white rhino to walk in your front of your living room, it's not going to happen. You have to go hunt it. You know, you have to go, you know, if you're spending time, you got to go where those people hang out. So the directors would be hanging out at screenwriting places. They were going to be going over and, and having readings. They're going to be going over and doing tests. Can I just be there for the test? I and mean, you don't have to pay me. I just want to be there. And you start seeing all the things that come into place. And you're like, wow, I'm seeing a bigger picture of than just my little part that I have to learn. But that's really important because those people are going to look at me and they're going to say, Egon, go out there and shoot time lapse of a sunrise. And I will say, how do you want it? Left to right, up and down, where's the ball going to go? And you get all that down and then they let you go. And then you go and you bring back what you've been told. That only happens if they really trust you and you are constant at keeping proving yourself of getting it right. You uh, you mentioned earlier, one of your first jobs was you were loading mags on a helicopter on a James Bond movie. Aerial helicopter shots have almost gone completely the way of drone footage. What what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that drones, I mean, they, they look beautiful, they could capture a lot, but it seems like there's a little bit of the realism missing. Yeah. Well, uh, Tyler Camera Systems, they still, we still rent those cameras, uh, those mounts. They actually fit on certain helicopters that you have to be FAA approved and you, you install it onto there and you actually have a gyro stabilizer type of thing on it and gun handles and your thumbs do zoom in and zoom out. Your, your fingertips do focus in and focus out and another button hits record. My dad was very good at doing all that. So when people would come down here and do movies, they would either do title sequences and they would have my father and he would go and get Al Guthrie or somebody that from here with an A-star and they would land the helicopter in our parking lot. We would install them out there right in downtown Miami and off they would go and they would do filming. And then of course, I was always my dad's assistant. And sometimes he would say, if it wasn't dangerous, you have to fly with me. And if it is, I'm not going to have you do that. What happens when you're manning a camera anytime is that you have that it's like riding a bull. You know, the helicopters have to fly a certain way to get a certain type of a shot. And in doing so, you feel the G-forces and you have to stabilize yourself and you're able to go into like a 250 millimeter lens and get a detail. But if you're like all over the place and your horizon is off and, you know, you're out of focus, you're not going to get many chances of going up there because it's very expensive and fuel and mm -hmm. all that happening. Today's drones, they're really slick and they move around and stuff, but they're not giving you the same thing that you have when you want to rig up a camera and let's say follow here in Florida, we have boat races. So they're going to do a boat race. Well, you can only fly a certain amount of time and then you have to land and boats go pretty fast. So you need a fast helicopter. So maybe a twin star that's going to be able to go that hundred and something miles an hour and you're not going to land. You're going to have a guy in the back there that's going to be either feeding you cards on a digital or they're going to be feeding you magazines and you're, you're going to have to like film that. And it's still around. We have people from the military and people from the Coast Guard that actually rent those mounts because they have to go out in the middle of the ocean and shoot a lot of stuff. And that's not something that drones can do so well because you have to have a, a boat that, you know, a support boat that's going to fly it up and the batteries only last a certain amount of time. And you're not going to be putting big cameras with big lenses on there. It's only going to be kind of tiny. So it has a 
its place, like anything that we have is gear, but sometimes doing it more organically looks better. And people have gotten acclimated to like, I don't know, like feeling something different. You know, you're watching like an Avenger movie and at the end and end game, there's so much going on. I can't even focus on it. It's so much going on, you know, and, and you kind of, it kind of waters it down when it's a more, sometimes a little more simple, but uh, dramatic, uh, you've got a memory. Of We've that. talked on previous podcasts about the uh, sacrificing story for spectacle yeah. and how that's been lost. And really, you know, when we talk about aero shots from helicopters, that's really something that you have to learn by doing, you know, that, that there's no, there's, there, there's no other way. And that's a great jumping off point. Cause in the next segment, I really want to talk about some of the exciting things you're doing to educate the next generation of filmmakers, bringing it back to that film, some very exciting stuff. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, but before that, we would like to thank partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. M2 Productions, who provides directing, Writing and assistant director services. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back with Egon Stefan Jr. Egon, we started off the episode talking about your upbringing, your rather unique education as a cinematographer. Uh, you're working on some some really exciting stuff right now. You're giving back. You're educating the next generation of filmmakers. And really, your your mantra for this is you refuse to let film die. I think it's a good way to put it. So uh, let's talk about that. There has been now a resurgence to shooting on 16, Super 16 film and some 35. And there's still some main things that we still watch that are actually done that way. The old days you could go and learn that in school and they haven't been teaching that in any schools for quite a long time because when kodak had gone back in the day and became bankrupt a lot of people just like some people threw their cameras away like threw them away and went to digital and says you know we're never going to do that again i couldn't do that because these are like old friends of mine if those if the if the gear inside my shop or my dad's shop could talk they could tell you stories of famous times and famous people of filming famous things so i've held on to all that and also all the tech instruments to keep them maintained so the depth and the ground glass and the scratch testing and all of that you have to have special instruments to do that and a lot of people these days are buying things and cameras affordably, film cameras off of eBay or something. And then unless you have some experience to keep it on the road, so to speak, because you could make a, it could be messed up and then everything you shot was, you know, not good. And it's really key ingredient now is that you have to really know what you're doing. And I, since I see there's a, there's a gap there, I'm trying to give back to whoever's in, interested in that is to do these programs where we can take you in and pretty much like learn like I did. You know, you're going to have a pile of gear in the room and for the next eight hours, all you're going to do is do that thing. You're going to, you know, there's like maybe 200, 400 city cam mags, thousand foot mags per camera model. And there could be four or five of them. And, you know, we're going to send for one day and for eight hours, we're going to rotate around and do every single one of those magazines of all those main cameras that are still being used today. So that at the end, you walk away with like, I can live max, you know, for real. And here's here's the paperwork on how to keep your totals and your film inventory and all the stuff that I did as a second assistant, actually give them that thing. And then the very next day is going to be another eight hours of taking that and actually applying them to the cameras and then learning how to 
operate all the features of those cameras. So I've, I've been working with people and they'll ask me to put something on the camera. And if you know the camera, you look over and you say, uh, that doesn't go that fast. Oh yeah, sure it does. And like, yeah, no, I know I can take this camera apart. It does only 60 frames. You're thinking about the high speed one that is 120. That's not this one. So, you know, if you know the stuff, then you're also assisting in the people that you're working for. They might have a great idea. They might say, I want to put this camera on a 15 degree shutter and get a saving private Ryan look. And you go, yeah, it doesn't go that low. <laughs> This one will only do like 45 degrees. Right. And they're like, no, 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 for sure. I was like, yeah. Or sometimes if they're insistent, I say, good, show me where, where, how to do that. And they can't find it. And I go, it doesn't exist. You know, so you got to trust me. That's why I'm here. You know, I'm here <laughs> to make you look good, you know, and to keep it smooth. So to actually learn that you need a place that actually has an experience that has an equipment all in one shop. And I have all that. It's not, it's not the mainstream stuff right now. Everything is more HD, but there's cameras I have that are hand cranked Mitchell's that I have two perf, uh, technoscope, um, hand crank uh, two C's with PL mounts and everything, but they're not going to be all tricked out with HD video taps. You know, the, some of them don't even have a video tap, but then do you really need that if you're going to create a certain look and do a certain thing? If you're spoiled and only had like, you know, certain way, then yes. But if you're doing it for the effect of the film or the shot that you're trying to do, you get the best you can get. And if you have something that's maybe 40 years old, it's not going to have all the newest thing on there, mm -hmm. but it's going to still give you something amazing. So right. the, to, to learn that and to, and to get people to feel comfortable with that i need to do workshops with that and i need to bring you in and i don't need any more practice <laughs> I, I need to i need to have people surrounded me that i can call on that i can rely on that i can send out on that i give a, a sign of approval and to feel that i'm passing it on to them some knowledge that at some point i'm not going to be here anymore you know i want to do from here on out everything we do is going to be recorded because you know when i'm gone the knowledge dies with me you know i'm the last of my kind that still you know, fights for showing my job with a geared head and I don't need it, but I know I can operate it with my eyes closed, literally with my eyes closed. You know, I can do things with my eyes closed because I'm fanatical that I train myself that way. If we find people that are in the, a lot of people might come forward and say, I want to do that. And, you know, to give them a, a platform to not be afraid, not, not damage something on the set an environment that mm -hmm. you're surrounded by people that have seen it all and then pass that on. It's something that I think has been asked of me to do and i want to do it on a bigger scale like on a grander scale like there's a, to a point that it's happening at least once a month uh, or maybe even more times that there's going to be different ways of training when my father gave me the film camera my first film camera and he said I'm a, i can't give you a, a motion picture camera because i gotta first see if you can take a picture good and he, he said you have 36 exposures now go out and shoot lines today Go out and shoot vertical lines and then next day horizontal lines. Now go out there and shoot sunrises and sunsets. And I would shoot a whole roll of that, bring it back, develop it, show it to him. And he'd go, he'd look at them and goes, sucks, sucks, sucks. And then in time, he would stop and go, ooh, this is a good. And he'd put it down. And out of 36, I got one good. So my mission was I want all 36 of them. I want to have a little bag of gems. So he would critique me and I would have to bury my ego and say, well, oh, but it was, this. I don't care. I'm just looking at the image. And the image is, you know, you could have been a little bit lower, you could have been a little bit wider, you could have been a little bit different and, you know, and make me think that and then go out there and do it again, do it again, do it again. So I, I kind of learned pretty good that way. I want to pass that kind of on to different people because we get, you know, we get these things when we were doing Dexter, we get a whole list of things and says, okay, we, we have to see Dexter over the shoulder, looking out towards the beach, uh, Dexter driving down the highway, going this way, this happening here, him looking at the cell phone. And you have a list of these specific things. And sometimes you're giving uh, an image or you watch some video of the scene that just happens right before that or at that point of that cutaway. And you have to recreate that. You recreate that very technically by the 
lensing, by your inclinometer, and all these tools that are not really used so much these days because a lot of people don't know that there even is a tool for that or how, how to do it. And then by educating them on that, because I'm not just going to say, this is how you use the camera, and this is just the beginning part of like the mags and stuff to get you work, to get you out there, but there's going to be the point of you need to learn how to take it apart because you're going to be in the jungle like I was, and then something happens, and they look at you, and, they, and we're in Brazil, and they're like, what are we going to do? And I said, give me an hour. And I was known to be able to take apart the thing and then fix it, and I become the hero for the day because you're not going to fly another one in from the jungle. You have to make do. You know, we've been on boats, and something happened, and I said, hmm, I'm in the hotel room, and I'm making some, <laughs> I actually made a made a protective switch that was a waterproof underwater housing one that got torn and I made it out of a condom to cover it up. I mean, you you find these little tips and tricks and other people that when you're, the name of the game is gotta, the show must go on. You've mm-hmm. got to get it done. And when a department fails and something happens and a technical problem, you got to make it fixed as fast as possible. And I think that's my unique skill has been working so much in technical and working in demystifying the scary little box that we nobody opened the four screws. And when you do you go look it's just three three wires you know and they go oh and then the next time when something goes wrong you think maybe that's when he told me that those little wires get loose when you knock it around and then you plug it in and now i passed on something that i learned that you're going to save your day so that's kind of the idea of this i don't want to just be talking and showing you films and stuff but as this progresses i'd I'd like to do what is done to me they give me a little bunch of clips of a video and they say make it look just like this but for my toothpaste Mm -hmm. so then i'd love to set up something and say that everybody here's the image of what is out there whatever great movie scene and that now I want you to duplicate that for this pancake and give somebody the ability to now use the lights and do it and set it up to where you finally figure out your values you know it can't just be one-to-one contrast ratio a lot of times if you want to make it moody you don't want all the light on the face you want just Rembrandt with a little piece of the light or I want them silhouette and I just want a cutting edge on the side or I want to use a split diopter and make this in focus and that in focus too like like Citizen Kane and, the, and I have all that stuff I have that stuff from I have things that are from the 1940s that still work it's not just it's museum stuff I mean my stuff work gotta maintain it you gotta oil it and grease it and you know, once you know it like an old car it's just now passing it on to somebody else. Only the people of my age or that actually have been doing that know what I have and they'll call me up and say, ship this. Like one of my cameras I had to ship for out to Canada for the originals, which was, uh, I think, from Vampire Diaries for the effect of the monster and the, the vampire to do his thing. They needed my camera and there was only like three in the world. And it was like, I had one. And it was like sitting on my shelf. It was like ready to work. Like not just like, here's a little great prop piece. People call me all the time and say, what prop? And I go, yeah, I, I, it don't work. So I mean, if I send it out there, I gotta send an assistant with you because you're not going to know how to set up that head. You're not going to know how to set up that bulb and that light. And that light takes two people to pick it up because it's a 24K uh, tungsten. A lot of people don't use hot lights. People nowadays, they, they go the cheapest way possible and the most easy way, which would be an HD camera and some LED light. But now if you have to do a bigger scale and you want some velvet light and some emotions, you have to mix color temperatures and you have to mix values of light. And being a lighting cameraman is not just being a cinematographer. A lighting cameraman has experience maybe as being a gaffer that then bumped up to be a cameraman so you can't fool him you know he's going to sit there and go yeah i think i need a 18k coming from that window and they go no no we're just a sky panel you're like dude it's not going to work. I know that's not going to work. I've done that before. It doesn't work. But, you know, that's something that if you've never played with that in my place, I have that. 
it's right there on stands, ready to go. Plug that in. I have a generator. Plug it in. This is what a you know a 12K par Sunray looks like. And this is the different lenses you can use. And this is a spread you can use. And there's apps that we have that we can then look and, you know, I use it all the time, especially tides and sun and mm-hmm. and uh, how much running time and how much drive space we need and all those things. And But I think to be a filmmaker, it's all about learning and about experience. So you have to be in it. Totally. You can't just do it by, you know, reading a book. You know, you have to. And I have a lot of books. And at some point, that's part of the, I'm going to give you 30 gigs of PDFs and I'm going to expect you to read all of that. But at the time, you need to get muscle memory and you need to be able to visualize it in your head. And that's part of what we do is we have to be able to, you, the director tells me something and you look at the blank wall and you say, I can see that being purple and green with a shaft of yellow. You have to have that kind of opened up to that. And then the producer will say, how much is going to cost me? So now you got to wear the other hat and say, all right, I can't get a super technocrane, but I'll get a Jimmy Jim and we'll do it this way in two takes. And then you, you know, you, you have that option be able to doing that and the only way i know that is from being under people that have been doing it and showed me a different way and i went oh i didn't even know that was even possible so i want to pass the same thing on to different people but i and i and but it's going to require that they be dedicated and i can't uh i can't do it for you right i I think you know a couple things you know among the many many great points is the uh boils down to uh the best way to learn filmmaking is making films uh but the, the workshops, how how are they going to be structured? Will they be weekends? Will they be week-long? Trying to blend it with everybody else's schedule. I originally want to do a three-day workshop because normally I learned that by day three when you're on a real job is finally when you're getting it and then and then the commercial's over. And if you work on a movie, it's the first week you're you're in the groove. You know, it takes maybe the last day you're already in it. It's like when you play golf, you play lousy for 17 holes, yes. all of a sudden the 18th hole kicks in. So if I only, if I only did it one class for a few hours, and then a month later did another class, you never learn anything. You know, it's not really realistic. I need to... I need to submerge you in it until you look at me and go, can I have a break, please? Cause my finger's raw or mm-hmm. my brain is full. And it's like, sure. You know, that's, that's the level of, that I think has to be given out to matter that each person walks away and feels like they learned something for real. Right. Not just, I just spent time at something. And that also will weed out the people that are serious because honestly, I can't teach you how to do this in two days. Anyway, right. I, I got to teach you like, you gotta, you gotta be my shadow to some point. You gotta, mm-hmm. every time I have a prep, you gotta come in and do it. I gotta keep you on the, on the little list. Once I, see that you're for real and say we have a little small job tonight you want to come out and work it like you're going to do sound and then people will say no i'm just going to do this it's like dude you got to do everything you know you might have to load the truck too you might have to go and 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 run run that power to that light you know you might have to change that bulb you might have to go in look it doesn't matter you know you welcome to indie filmmaking you you know indie filmmaking i've done some of my best work on it but it makes you think because you know you got to say how many people do i need and how dedicated are you we're going to work all night building that set outside in the parking lot okay you got to be for real some people don't know how to drill they don't know how to use power drills they don't even know how to build a set they don't even know how to use different effects when you're doing like product work and you gotta you gotta put them around it you got to get them to do it and that's my point is i wanted to be mainly hands-on i'll basically show everybody whatever we're going to be doing at one moment one way and i'll have it recorded you know maybe over the top and film it right like detail without seeing my face and then time it because i think accuracy versus time is very important and then i'll say okay that took me let's say 45 seconds to load that mat now you do it okay now we did it and it took you 20 minutes now you know mm-hmm. 45 seconds or 20 minutes now do it for the next every hour i'm going to rotate you to another another magazine another camera then we're going to come back to the beginning and you're going to tell me how fast and efficient that you did it and feel mm-hmm. comfortable with and there you know your range because guys that are be better than me can do it even faster and it's not like i'm trying to make them do it fast i'm just trying to make it so it happens 
happens second nature. You don't have to think about putting on your clothes. You know, you shouldn't be thinking about, you should be able to be distracted and still build a camera and still line up a shot and still do lights and do multitasking on different levels and be able to handle stress. Because when people get stressed and the site gets stressed, you get nervous and people get, you know, either, either fight or flight, you know, and you, there's a middle way. It's, you have to become, uh, the more you freak out, the more I have to be calmer because nothing's going to happen, right? Unless we have to get that last shot, you know, of the day and then you got one take in there and yeah, you're going to go and do something amazing. But then those are times that I did where I loaded something or did a shot or pulled off a shot pulling focus that was one in a million shot to be in focus. And right. I nailed it because you're trained at that level. If you, if you, if you have the opportunity, there's not many places where you can go and have all this equipment to do it. So in one building, it's there. Now you got to go and say, I want today I want to do that. All right. If we have a, not a workshop day on that, come on in, go in the corner there and do that all day. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I just want you to get better at it. Where you feel comfortable when I get a call from somebody and they say, I need this guy, who do you recommend? I don't want to recommend somebody that they're going to call me afterwards and say, what did you give me this guy for? You know, I say, he doesn't know anything. He's all green. He's all talk. And I don't want to be in that position, nor do I want that person to fail. So I have to regulate on what I think your level is at, and then I can bring you higher, but it's going to require an on ongoing thing and then homework that you would do. And you got to be passionate about this because it's not, it's not, I don't really think of it as a job job. I think it's almost like it's, we get to play with things and people and somebody's fitting the bill and afterwards you're going to see it and you're going to love it. It goes back to how you started. It's, it's an apprenticeship. Yeah. And I really love the fact, and we had a previous guest talk about that film educators don't necessarily, isn't limited to just like film school professor. There's so many people out there like you that really just, just want to give back, really want to train the next generation and, and train them right. You know, not just like, hey, here's, give me a few hundred bucks, you know, for a couple hours and then go on your way. It sounds like you're really really dedicated to really making sure they they know as much as you. Up to now, I was giving all my classes since 2007 that we would be doing this at, at, at CVT for free. But then, you know, to get people to come at that time every week, you know, you start off with seven or 10 people. And then by the end of the week, you got one or two. And it's like, I'm not going to take all that experience I've learned and all that time, unless you're my kid and I, I'm going to teach you as my child right. to put into that. I need to, I need to get a group of people to make it worthwhile so that I can bring in other professionals, not just me that can tell you the same thing and help me out with that. Mm -hmm. And then I, we got to do it on a regular basis where like last night I was on the phone with Romeo Taroni, ASC cameraman and also a director for Manifest. And we were just talking and, you know, we, we actually recently lost a, a mentor of ours that passed away and we were, you know, just talking like regular people, but in on the set, he's got God, you know, it's like, you know, you have, you have, you look at the episode, you can ask him anything and he can tell you that, you know, and that's, what's great about, you know, being able to lean on somebody is you're not going to know everything, but I know somebody that knows a lot. Let me make a phone call. And I, I'm sometimes that guy that people call a lot, you know, it's not even my gear. It's not even my problem. And they're saying, look, I'm having this. Do you know what the problem is? And I go, oh yeah, that's a blah, 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 blah. And normally you'd pay somebody for that advice. Now, as it goes on, I have to charge something, but I'm trying to find out the, the middle way because there are people that are passionate that don't have any money. And then there are people that are have money, but they're more posers. And, you know, I, I kind of make something that originally I wanted three days, then everybody talked me down to two days, but then it has to be more frequent. And I, they wanted me to do it for two hours. I said, no, it's got to be eight hours with a one hour lunch because you really, if there are eight stations, I don't want to jip you for the time you need to learn. If you, if you take an, an hour to do something good, you know, I'm not giving you like, you know, look at it and touch it, you know, and walk away. If you afterwards need to learn some more, we 
bring you in and you learn some more. I want to make it, I want to build a tribe, so right. to speak. That's and I awesome. want to, I want to build enough people that we could go anywhere and do anything. And I don't have to think about that. They don't have the saddle time for that. And then the jobs themselves will teach you things. Cause once you even know the gear and you, oh yeah, this is, this goes, this is now we put you where you haven't slept for two days yeah. and we're on forced calls and you're tired and we didn't get our, we didn't have our meal penalty, mm-hmm. you know, we're, and you still got to do it, you know, and now, oh, it's raining. Okay. Well, we, you have a million dollar worth of equipment out here. I hope you covered it up. I hope you put on your rain gear, you know, all that kind of stuff is I want to develop it that it's more than just the camera and the lens and the lighting. It's overall you change. Because you have to be, if you look at the old pictures of the black and white of cameramen, they were ties and they, they were cer- certain type of suit and certain type of attire. And then as you see, it goes on. If you're, if you're in the middle of somewhere and you don't have the luxury of having carts with you, you have to have backpacks on you. You have to have a belt, a tool belt. That's probably going to weigh 25 pounds. And you know, you're going to have all your things that you can grab. And it's developing that kind of mentality that if you're going to be somewhere and you're going to be doing that kind of work, let's talk about the things that might encounter so that you have an option and you don't, you don't look bad and you look good for everybody and a lot of times you can't just have one because you think the director flying in is going to have the say simple thing like a bug suit when you're shooting in the Everglades no he's not going to fly with that he didn't even know there's bugs in the Everglades he's from LA he doesn't have bugs <laughs> so he goes out there and he's like what are these things and I'm and he sees me and I'm in the second covered up no problem because I have to be standing there in the woods you know with a camera on me I have to have two of those in fact, I have to have three because I might have to get one of the producer because he didn't have one either. You know, I can't have one umbrella. I got to have five umbrellas and maybe because the actor and the makeup needed one. You know, when you're in the battle, you see that it's every other department might need other things that you share. The grip truck might be your home rolling Home Depot. Right. So you might have to go in there and give something to somebody. It's best that you pay attention and know their needs. And then you can ultimately keep the ball rolling. Like the whole thing is like from the moment you show up on the set to you wrap, the clock's ticking. So you don't want to be not being productive because we're waiting for somebody to buy something or bring something in. So that's the kind of like preparing you in more ways than just, and also set etiquette. Nobody knows that anymore. I mean, set etiquette. I mean, I've done some shows here that we've had all these beautiful young kids that were there helping us out, but they can't talk to a guy that has big movie star, a Bruce Willis guy. And if you don't handle that right on set, they get mad because they're used to the big shows. So if you don't give them what they need, you know, you don't walk up to that guy and talk to him directly. You walk to that other person in there, you know, you don't come on the set and override your director. I mean, there's etiquette of things that people have lost that. I had to be trained like that. So I, you know, it's yes, sir. No, sir. Talk mm-hmm. when I need to be and move as efficient as possible foresee what's going to happen. Have another thing as a backup, offer it to the person, but not in a violent way, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd like here, you know, I have this, could this help, you know, and even other departments, all we need, can this, uh, this might help. And then, you know, that's, that's being around somebody. And then I'm giving you scenarios. I have enough scenarios of my life that were real thing I don't have to make it up that I can say okay this happened to me for real now boom I'm going to throw you in it and let's see how you handle it now if I have a group of people that think that's valuable to them to go on from here uh, then you know I'll have I'll have a good following but at this point I'm not really sure how many people will take advantage of that and this is like part of the guest 3.0 because we did it back a few different times and I think it was ahead of its time. And now that, that it's coming back around and there's not really, I mean, I'm getting calls from me to go out and work as a camera assistant. I'm a DP. I'm beyond that, but I never lost that skill. I mean, I can go in a second and pull focus. And I mean, I did it for 30 something years. I mean, I know it back in my hand. And well, then, you know, so... I don't want to be that guy, but I want to be able to offer other people that I had that same opportunity that at some point 
you got to be in the saddle and doing it. And either you do it and you you make it without any experience by faking it or somebody changes you and says, you're going to do it. And then afterwards you say, how do you feel? And you say, I feel confident. Good. What do you feel weak on? This. Go train them some more. I want to kind of do that before, since we recently have opened up in, in Atlanta too, Atlanta is more receptive to this type of training than I have it here in Miami, but things are turning back around. Hopefully that happens because uh, the city and the state, the the county wants to do education like that mm-hmm. because they see it's invaluable. If you're going to, if you're going to be able to train some young people to then go out there and really do it, not just run around as a PA running for coffee or doing things like that, that you actually go out there on something that you know is your skill, that's job placement. And that makes everybody win. And then if they finally get somewhere and they need equipment and they will call back me again and say, I want to hire you or I want to want your gear. And it's sort of like it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. If I can find that win-win that's a balance between money of what it would cost to pull that off, because everybody I bring in, I got to pay them. So I'm not going to just be the only guy. I'm going to bring in ASC cameramen, DGA directors, and guys that have been doing this for 40 years. So you can, so they can give you, and they can show you on the screen of things that they've done. And I, I've, they were all the people I worked under. And I've called them many times over the years and say, can I fly you in and you teach for a weekend of something? And they're like, of course. But, you know, you got to get it going. I want to have sponsors again, like Kodak and Aerie and different people that come in and showcase their new stuff that we can then have a platform that people can play with it. Really, it's like hands-on. It's mostly hands-on. Afterwards, you can research it and look it up and I can give you all the PDFs and all the different data. I have to see what the response is going to be like. This is amazing. This is really, really exciting. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to see uh, how this evolves. Definitely want to take part in it myself. We're going to take one more quick break and then we'll back to conclude this episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Last of all, be sure to also follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We'll be right back. I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with cinematographer and film educator Egon Stefan Jr. These workshops that you're developing are great. I know uh, I'm excited to learn about them. Our audience is excited. How can uh, someone sign up? Where can they find you? Uh, where can they learn more about you? Uh, well, right off the bat, we're, we're going to be uh, sending out flyers for this and doing advertising on there. That's why we're looking at probably having it in the first uh, weekend of December or the second weekend on a Saturday and a Sunday. Uh, you can find me on at Egon at Egon Stefan Jr. on Instagram, or the same thing would be on Facebook or LinkedIn. Most of the times, if you want to see images of what we're doing and behind the scenes, the Instagram shows you the most, but then the, for the longest one would be the Facebook because it's been, we've been on that for the longest. I mean, I know it's like ancient times, but, and I think we just started a TikTok and I have a lot of crazy things on there too, like little snippets. And where, where can people go to sign up for the workshops once that becomes open? This moment, I'd probably be better to email me and then okay. I'll, I'll send you in that direction with links to what we're doing. It would be cinevision at mindspring.com. We're seeing what the turnout was going to be. Because if it's going to be a larger turnout than I think it's going to be, I have to do another facility because I only can hold so many people or split it up. So it's really like we're doing a, a tester on this to see because we want to do this every month. 
or even twice a month. And we want to be able to be up doing it on a bigger scale and repeated doing this. So it would be um, best way to contact either by uh, DM on Instagram or Messenger or uh, an email on CineVision at MindSpring. And we'll we'll send you the link to what to do and sign up. Aside from developing workshops, uh, what else are you working on these days? There's a TV show that we've been working on for the past four years called Paper Empire that's supposed to start coming up in December. And they're going to be uh, finishing their full episodes that we've been filming. They haven't released anything yet, but it'll be all in one package. That's uh, that's the most current one that's coming up. Um, on a daily basis at my rental house, we obviously rent out equipment and not necessarily work the job. So we have a in a week or so, uh, like three cameras going out on a gig. And you know, a lot of times we're renting out uh, 16 and 35 optical glass that from vintage from back in the 80s that are now hard to find. We have, we have those little extra things. So it would be um, pretty much developing this as much as I can, because at some point here, I have to fly back to Atlanta and go up there and do the same thing. And we have a, we have a 30,000 square foot warehouse with a, with a stage and we can bring a ton of people in there and we want to make this available. So both states and again, do it on a bigger scale that at some point that we can actually have people come in from out of the, over the, the country and do like a, an exchange type of thing where they can stay for a month and learn intensive stuff. I mean, we want to do it in a, on a way that I just can't be the everything guy. Right. I need support, I need help. And I need people that feel the same way and have the same kind of vision where once I get inside, doing something like this there's no clock for me normally i could do it till you tell me you're full so it's not really work but then i got to find people that feel the same way you know and feel that they want to go and dedicate their time to helping other people and being patient and then giving them a, a platform on which they can learn more so my current office here is in hollandale right off of hollandale beach boulevard um again you can contact me and i can send all the information or i'm sure you can google search at city video tech inc and uh, it's centrally located between Fort Lauderdale in Miami. And we just moved there because for 40 years I was at this one location. They actually named the street after my father because we had been there for so long and had such a dramatic impact in Miami Dade for that. So it would be um, that. That's my new things coming up. And, uh, you know, I've been flying, you know, it's like your feast of famine. You were sitting home doing nothing and then you get a phone call and you got to fly to Detroit for a week or you got to, you know, that it, it, that might happen. And it's not a bad thing. That's about pretty much what I have been having going on. I was pretty busy earlier and now I had a little window and I'd rather be productive than just sitting home. So if I have time, you know, it's like now I can focus on that. And then until somebody grabs me and I'm stuck for seven weeks somewhere or that I want to push it forward as much as I can. And then maybe if I'm not that guy that has to be there that night, somebody equivalent to my skill level can be there and we can keep it going. So it's just not me only, you know, I need, I need a team. I like on a set. I mean, I can film ants in the Amazon, but I, I still need a team, you know, <laughs> I still need, you know, more people to feel the same way that I'm doing. Egon is all amazing. It's been a, it's been wonderful having you on the cinema pathway podcast. You are welcome to come back anytime. I would love to continue all of these conversations. Personally, as a filmmaker, I love the rich history of our industry, and I thank you keeping that part of it alive and really making sure that the next generation of filmmakers are educated uh, and learn about it. And like we said, ensuring that film does not die. It's in my blood. I love it. So again, appreciate you being thank here. You. Thank you. Really, all. really excited to see what's coming along. Thank you, Freddie. Also, and everybody, thank you so much. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway Podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical 
Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time. Lights out.